Church of Christ presents Breathe in Peace, the sermon by the Reverend Jean Randall Bodman, presented on Sunday, April 28, 2019. It is always good to be together, to eat and sing and pray and laugh and worship together. And here we all are on the second Sunday of the Easter season, the week after the week before, the week after the week with the magnificent anthems and glorious flowers and high attendance, the week after the week we run out of bulletins. Some churches call this Low Sunday. I've heard this comes from the Latin laud for praise because one of the prayers in the Catholic cycle begins with that word. But in most Protestant churches, we call it Low Sunday because attendance and adrenaline are low after the excitement of Easter. You, dear Kairos, always surprise. We're lower than last week. We don't have the same spaces where you could shoot a cannon that most Protestant churches have on this Sunday. Of course, Christians of all stripes, all across the broad spectrum of the church, can always affirm the Lord is risen We can say it at any time, at all times. But on this Sunday in particular, it feels so last week. As Barbara Brown Taylor has noted, in some ways, it's a lot like other weeks after. The week after the wedding, the week after the graduation, the week after the birth or the death. When the mind is in the in-between place, asking, well, what now? What next? Things have changed, but how exactly are they different? It's just too soon to tell. Then again, the problem with the week after Easter is that things may not be different in your world at all. After 40 days of Lent, preparing for the life-altering reality of the resurrection, Some of us are still slammed at work, still shaken by the headlines, still waking up in the middle of the night with more anxieties than alleluias. The world is pretty much the same as it ever was. Might even be worse. But even if the world isn't different, shouldn't we be? Have we allowed any of it to change us this year? Reading Reverend Taylor again, there aren't many week after stories in the Gospels. Mark is in such a hurry that he wraps things up with the empty tomb. It says no more about it. Matthew adds a few lines about Jesus appearing to the disciples in Galilee and commissioning them to carry on. Luke tells a great story about a stranger meeting up with two disciples on the road to Emmaus. But that happens on the very same day that Jesus vanished from his tomb. And the minute the disciples recognize the stranger, he's gone. Of course, the author of Luke carries on with the life of discipleship and the early church in the book of Acts. Luke, Acts, two books, one author. But John is the only gospel that lingers on what it's like to be a disciple 
in the time right after Easter. He's the only one with a week after story. And so we hear it every year, no matter where we are in the lectionary. Just like last week's story from John, it comes to us in two distinct episodes, connected by one character. Last week, Mary Magdalene was present through it all. This week, the episodes are connected by the early absence, the early and noted absence, of the disciple called Thomas, the twin. More commonly, and I think unfairly, known to us as Doubting Thomas. Thomas, the guy who wouldn't believe unless and until he saw Jesus himself, in the flesh, his real human flesh, his wounded flesh. He sounds demanding. But I don't like to think of him that way, as doubting or demanding Thomas. I think of him more as longing Thomas. Because after all, each of the others who proclaimed, I have seen the Lord, had already received what Thomas longed for, what he longed and asked for. Mary Magdalene saw Jesus face to face and recognized him when he called her by her name. The other disciples that same evening were locked in a house, fearful of the anger of the leaders who turned Jesus over to the powers of Rome. They believed not when Jesus popped through the locked door to their hiding place, not when he said to them, peace be with you, but when they saw his hands and his side, which he showed them all unasked. Thomas wanted that, that same experience, that same encounter with a living person, and Jesus, loving him, provided it. Same peace, same showing of himself. And in that moment, Thomas's longing is answered. He knows for sure, sure, that Jesus came back as the same one who died, not divorced from the reality of human life. He hasn't come back all healed up and good as new. He's returned to his friends with visible evidence that he will never leave what is most human about him behind. And so he won't leave them behind. Thomas wasn't looking for physical proof of the resurrection. He was looking for existential proof that the one whom God has raised up is the same one who was damaged beyond all human repair. He's looking for evidence that this Messiah knows about the worst of humanness and will never discount it, neither here nor in the hereafter. Otherwise, what would it mean to Thomas to believe? That Jesus' new life in God has nothing to do with his old life on earth? That faith means seeing that the wounded world is merely passing away and an illusion? Thomas wasn't having any of that. He wanted to see the marks on Jesus' body, to reach out his real hand and touch Jesus' real wounds. Only then could he trust that it mattered that Jesus' resurrected life meant something for every human life, no matter how hurt and scared. I love this about Thomas. He reminds us that the peace that Jesus offers, the life in Jesus, 
must be grounded right here in this life, where things are hard and confusing. And this Thomas, this longing Thomas, spoke up earlier in the gospel. Jesus had been comforting his disciples, and he said to them, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the, pla- the way to the place where I am going. The other disciples seemed satisfied with this. They were comforted. But Thomas sounded like that. <laughs> was perfect. Thank you. (laughs) He said, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way. Now these beloved texts, the house of many rooms prepared for us, and the story of longing Thomas, these two texts are often understood to be talking about life, but life after life, life in another realm, another place, another time after this present time is done. But the whole Gospel of John, which begins with the direct declaration, what has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The whole Gospel is talking about a different kind of life. In fact, the author of John uses three separate Greek words that we translate simply into life. The first two, psyche and bios, are used interchangeably, and they mean the life that every animal and human being shares, basic biological life. But in these inflection points, at the beginning, and the moment of comfort, and the moment of resurrection, the word used is zoe. This means eternal life, or life of the age, life given to those who believe, Life that transforms us from merely existing to living in the abundance and eternity of God. This life was present from the beginning, and it lies at the core of creation. This life connects with the deepest purpose of God. And it lies in the ultimate purpose of John's gospel, that those who met Jesus as he healed and taught in Galilee, and those who meet Jesus as we do, through the witness of the Gospels, that all of us may trust Jesus' teaching and know that God abides with us. This is both the source of the peace that Jesus brings them, and it is the goal of the mission he sends them on. Just as God sent Jesus, so Jesus sends his disciples, the ones he knew in the flesh, and us who have come to believe through their witness. We, too, are sent. We are sent out into the world to spread forgiveness and peace. Peace is both our fuel and our mission. Living as we do in a world filled with lies, war, casual disregard for human life, where religious bigotry and murder are on every continent, with Jews, Muslims, and Christians all targeted and murdered in their houses of worship to spread the good news of peace, to work 
for justice and peace in this world, we have to be peace. And when we can't feel it, when like Thomas, we long for a sign that the risen Christ is really still present, really still offering us that deep peace, like Thomas, we must ask. Unlike him, we may need to ask over and over again. But like Thomas, we must come with open hearts, willing to see, willing to be filled with the Spirit and with peace, willing then to be sent to spread that peace. We are each of us called in a different way. We are called to acts of peace, working for peace in Palestine, Israel, working on behalf of immigrant justice, advocating for the protection of the earth, working to provide housing for low-income elders, protesting for racial justice, voting our consciences in every election from the most local to the national. We are called to work for peace. And we are, each of us, also called to acts of peace in our private lives, to practice the pause in conversation, to hear well what has been said to us before we respond, to respond gently when possible, with clarity and integrity always, to refrain from repeating unkind news that isn't necessary, to give our time and effort to the comfort of those we love without measure, to walk away and seek shelter and peace when we are in relationships that harm us. But this work can feel so overwhelming. To spread peace, we must practice touching down into the deep inner well that connects us to more than just our own souls, more even than the collective soul of the community. That place deep within where we are connected to the unending well of Christ's love. It is always beneath us, holding us up, like swimmers. But we forget and skim across the surface of life. Even when we are committed to working for the good, we can become brittle in our self-righteous anger, fractured by all the hate in the world, stressed by the enormity of it all. We cannot battle it alone, but we don't have to. We are invited to be rooted and grounded in love, filled up with the same Holy Spirit that Jesus breathed into his disciples. I invite you to pause with me, to imagine the vastness of the universe, the spacious openness of all that is, the radiance that holds it all. And then to bring your mind to your own body, let it be at ease. Let your shoulders drop. Let your hands unfurl. Allow the muscles in your face to let go of the expression you are preparing for the world. And breathe in deeply. Breathe in peace. 
Breathe in light. Let it dissolve all that is hot and heavy and burdensome. Breathe in peace. Breathe out love. Breathe in peace. Breathe. Christ is risen. Christ's peace is yours. Amen. Listen, listen, listen.